Welcome, one and all, to Picard, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Star Trek universe. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hailing frequencies are open, Pete. Still here. Picard, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for the season finale, season one finale, uh, episode 110, Et in Arcadia Ego Part 2, comes to you now via Wacky Fundamental Field Replicator with Neurocatomic Interface. And Pete, as the season one showrunner Michael Chabon uh, navigates maybe some misstatements, etc., uh, that he had made in part of the big press pre- uh, push uh, at the end of season one here. Uh, I know I will miss him answering questions on Instagram, as he has uh, done for at least much of the season. And uh, I know he's prepping uh, his his new show. He still is going to be a presence for season two. But Pete, we're talking plenty of season one here today. Plenty, not just season one. That's next week. We're talking the finale today. Yes. Uh, before that finale, Matt, of course, the Star Trek Discovery teaser there michael burnham holding a tattered federation flag coming soonish yeah and i think look has the internal cbs release date for season three of discovery has that probably been called into question internally yes for people who were in the know you know i'm talking your editorial staff uh post-production music etc have they probably been at this point formally told a new timeline a new flexible timeline undoubtedly but here's what you get when you don't announce a date six months out you get you know the unforeseen to happen and probably two months ago the unforeseen would have been oh no the render farm lost half the effects for episode uh, 306 oops all right well we need another week to bring that back okay you have it now it's a larger thing delaying the process but the fact that it's not oh pete it's not going to be you know april 28th anymore now it's going to be sometime in june they've let me down they haven't let us down because they haven't announced a date that needs to be changed which is a good thing it is and you got to remember that the whole of hollywood and entertainment is in the same boat right now so it's probably better to be dropping these things that they can finish that have been completely shot. Uh, the the holdup would seem to be that they have people working from home doing visual effects. I'm not completely clear why visual effects from home take longer than if they were at a place, I guess maybe server power, but like everything's remote, but That aside, we will be bringing you a Star Trek Discovery podcast by Fantastic Geek sometime the week before Easter. Hopefully, the Picard uh, finale having aired, little chance for people to digest that. Again, our thoughts on the entire season a week from today. Maybe we get a date in between. So certainly, dear listeners, between now and next Saturday, that first Saturday there in April, April 4th, 4-4, Pete, whether you're in Europe or America, it's going to be 4-4. Get your thoughts in for the season as a whole. But for now, let's head into the mission briefing. 
waves gently lap up against the crashed Borg artifact on Capelius as Narek runs to enter it. As he sneaks in, he sees Elnor ask Seven of Nine if the XBs would be better off dead since everyone hates them and they have no home. She asks him if she should put a phaser to her head and get it over with. But he'd miss her as Jerry Ryan reacts with the slightest sardonic chuckle. Pete, notice here how they're talking about the future of the XBs in the beginning of the episode. I look forward to later in the episode. Oh, actually, that was on the cutting room floor. But Pete, I digress. Narek continues to make his way deeper into the cube, finds Nerissa. They embrace Pete. No metaphor here at all. (laughs) Indeed. Um, This could have been an opportunity for them to answer some fan questions like, oh, man, gross. They just kissed. But Pete, they didn't. Um... She does ask him if he has, uh, shall we say, stupped any of the synths. Or I don't know if that's stupped the synths. I don't know. But he says not yet. He has killed one, though. Uh, we cut to Picard in his stately prison room, formerly Bruce Maddox's uh, hangout bedroom area. Uh, he sees a synthetic butterfly. He ponders its freedom. You see, Pete, he does not have freedom. Contrast. Uh, outside, Agnes Sneaking a boot, sees Soji use a retinal scanner to get into Picard's room. Uh, Back in Picard's room, Picard advises Soji not to be the monster the Romulans fear her to be. Oh, and that beacon, just in case you forgot about it from last episode, it may kill us all as we head into the credits. Narek tells Narissa he wants to use grenades to kill ship-killing flowers that fly. She has to stay on the cube and bring the weapon system online. Their parents died for this, but Narek, the Jot Bosch washout family disgrace, it was he who found Sebcheneb. She tells him to go so she can tend to her work as they share what will be a last look. He exits the cube, followed not long after by Elnor's distinctive shadow. Pete, I'm glad that we have a better understanding of Narek's motivations here. Uh, No time like the last episode to have us better understand characters' pasts. On La Serena, the ship sure needs a fix-in, but how does that imagination device work? Uh, That's what Rafi asks Rios. Can't he imagine a fix to the intermixed reactor? Uh, Because that needs to get fixed, even though he needs to replicate parts and can't replicate them without the intermixed reactor reacting. He ends up imagining a fix. To my eyes, Pete, the little area that he's fixing there, a scaled-down version of part of the warp core assembly that you can see in the Next Generation uh, technical manual. Uh, but the fix is a, it, it is indeed a fix. Things are back up and running. The ship is back. Bright lights in our eyes, Pete. They, they task us with these bright lights, mocking us, making us think this is the JJ universe. But wait... What's that banging? And no, Pete, it's not in a TVMA sense. There's something hitting the hull. You've been hitting the Horgle again? <laughs> At Capelius Station, the beacon continues to build as Dr. Alton Inigo Sung shows Gerardi all of Maddox's work about downloading a human consciousness into a synthetic body. Chekhov's Gollum. He lauds her for her almost maternal self-sacrifice in this instance. 
after he leaves, she convinces herself she can go through with it because he's not their mother, a-hole. Uh, that is word for word what my notes say as well. On La Serena, nay, Pete, outside La Serena, it's Narek who's throwing rocks, not grenades. Pete, that's proof that he wants to work together. Uh, inside the ship, little time passing by. JL isn't answering Rafi's hails. However, everyone, that's your Rios, that's your Narek, that's your Rafi, is on the same page when it comes to the threat. Uh, Elnor arrives ready to chop heads, but it's hammered home again. We need to work together. Pete, I feel like the episode is trying to tell us that in challenging times, we need to work together. Gerardi interrupts Soong's transferring of Saga's memories into a V module as a memento for Arcana. The damage to her optical processor corrupted the data stream. She's been working on the neural lace for the golem, but some of the files are encrypted. Hey, compliment, can you leave the room for a moment? He does, and she pulls out Saga's other eye. I thought that this would be an opportunity for the show again to show somebody pulling out an eyeball, but they didn't go for it this time. Uh, I thought perhaps it would have been some nice uh, symmetry to the middle of the season, but I digress. Pete, this was a point of the episode where I was saying, I don't really understand what the big deal is. So luckily, outside La Serena, uh, Gamadan, and the whole story of the threat is repeated, well presented by Narek. Um, I really, I buy the urgency, even though I'm wagging my finger a little bit. I'm having some fun at the idea that, like, once again, we need to hear how terrible things are. Um, which to me is one time too many. However, it is so well acted, him staring in the fire, you know, it's, it's counter, there's, there's counterpoint when we have, um, Elnor saying just a story and you just really feel that Narek believes this to, to his core and it informs him. I can't wait to see how things end up for Narek at the end of the episode. And I'm also glad Pete that Rafi <laughs> asks so many questions that Narek can answer. You know, the anaphora in this scene is particularly well done as we get the whole background. Yes, we we've heard about Ganmadon. I like that uh, Elnor thinks it's a myth. I like that Narek uh, discloses he thinks it's not prophecy, but history, history that is potentially fated to happen again. But we get the whole, uh, you know, background here with uh no shortage of detail about uh seb natan the foreteller who plays a drum made from the skin of children that she strikes with a chain of skulls so long and so hard that her heart bursts from the effort oh okay all right um and the the ravening that is going to happen the thousand days of pain streets slick with entrails of half de devoured corpses no this is not coronavirus Dogs this, and cats living together. <laughs> it is Ganmadan, and um, that they've they've got to prevent this. Next up, Pete, we cut dramatically to the Romulan free, uh, fleet, where uh, the former Commodore O, credited here in the subtitles as Nedar, says it's almost to an end, and then the act ends, kind of leaving me feel like the road just got just ended quickly but uh, that's how the act ends pete 
Narek explains about the molecular solvent grenades, what with their short fuse and their push button, and you throw them. They're intended for those orchids. The transmitter is the target of opportunity here, and it's the old cut back and forth of how they're going to get back into Synthville as they get back into Synthville. Uh, the plan, of course, they're bringing Narek back, wink, wink, and uh, the return of the old football. But, Keith, you could tell it's future football because most of the panels are black and the other ones are uh, either white or gray. It's terribly the future. Uh, maybe you remember before when Agnes saw about the retinal scanner? Well, turns out, and maybe you also remember when Agnes stole an eyeball. Well, she uses Saga's eyeball. Uh, I wonder if it was the good one or the bad one. Uh, regardless, to get into Picard's room, he's still there. He had been napping rather uh, morosely uh, in the bed. Uh, meanwhile, Soong's golem is ready. Uh, we hear just in passing. Uh, I would hate Pete for them to not properly build up the idea that you can put a brain in there and then somehow treat it as a, a as a story fix towards the end of the episode. But uh, more importantly, in this scene, Saga's last moments are back. Wait a minute, that's Sutra who helped kill her. Uh, that has miraculously turned Soong to Team Human as he meets up with, uh, with uh, Rios and the others. Yes, as the tower is almost active here, they need a clear line of sight. On La Serena, we've crossed here. We had one group go to Capella Station, and Picard and Gerardi are now there. Oh, we must have just missed them. The attack wing being seven minutes from landfall. No sign if Starfleet has their message. They would still be behind. They've got to find a way to stall them somehow. We have Gerardi recap that threat there, Pete. Then Picard reminds her that as advanced as the synths are, they are, are also like children. Fear is an incompetent teacher. No one is teaching them what life is for about responsibilities and rights. It's time to teach them. By example, Pete, it's time for Jean-Luc Picard to fly once again. In six minutes and 11 seconds here. Make it so. Uh, the beacon continues there as Sutra explains to her brothers and sisters that uh, this is the product of their salvation. It will begin to transmit. The signal will be received, a portal open, and it will not be anything like the 2012 film The Avengers at all. Uh, Pete, I was glad to see that the uh, CG beam of light into the sky uh, made its return after being in most movies for the last 10 years. Um, before that, though, Soon uses his little uh, like remote control garage door opener to shut Sutra off. couple of thoughts there. A, uh, I remember how sensitive Data was about his off button. B, uh, how wise that now it's on a keychain, or at least a little button. C, it would have been nice if Soon had shared that with everybody earlier and just could have been like, Hey, all of the naughty synth children, boo, we're just going to shut you down. We're going to turn off this uh, this uh, projective beam here. But Pete, exit stage right for uh, Sutra. Um, we cut quickly to orbit. How will Picard hold off uh, 218 warbirds? No question yet as he practices flying, concentrates on flying. Back to the colony. The grenade is thrown. Ah, 
but Soji catches it and throws it away. Ay, 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 Pete, can't we ever get ahead here? Back to her holographic work there on the beacon. Gerardi picks up incoming warp signatures, but of course, it's the Romulans. This cut after Nerissa is picking up on La Serena. She's attempting to lock weapons, and Seven gets the drop on her, makes her drop her weapon over the edge, calls her a disgusting half-meat, and then they fight with Nerissa flipping over the console. At the moment of highest interest, we cut away, the Romulan fleet arriving. Oh, now has the rank of general now. Um, more on that later. Uh, she calls for the planet to be sterilized. Uh, and uh, from the ground, everyone looks up afraid. They can see the ships in, uh, to my eyes, what appeared to be the upper orbit, but in space, they're, I don't know that they would be seen, but it's a cool visual. First time I saw such a thing, The Last Jedi. So the Stars Wars and Treks talking to each other, perhaps. Uh, the flowers are, are beckoned to attack them. But will the orchids buy them time? Oh man, moment of highest interest there. Back to the cube, Pete, as the women fight. Sad Queen Annika, six years old, and all she got for her birthday was assimilated. Console beeps. Why didn't Seven put a phaser to her head and get it over with? You know, like she was talking to Elnor about in the beginning of the episode, because she had this to live for, for Hugh, and pushes Nerissa into a chasm, never to be seen again. An arc, arcing to its end point, a redemptive arc. Maybe not ultra-fulfilling, but an arc's end. Uh, Pete, in space, it's phasers v. flowers. What is Picard's plan? Maybe a Picard maneuver? Hey, there's already one of those. Hey, how did the original one work? You know, ship appearing in the same uh, place. You know, two ships, different, uh, sorry, different place, but same ship. Uh, wait, if only they had an expositionally convenient way to do that. Agnes uses the magic, I mean highly technological imagination device to give first many versions of her face and then say, let's do this with a whole bunch of ships. Uh, and Pete, they're going to do just that, but not before Picard hails Soji. Yes. Uh, wants to give her the opportunity to reconsider her present course of action, power down the beacon. He has something he wants to give her and her people and hopes it will change their minds his life pre-called out uh with that o calls for all the ships to target the planet now pete luckily she's a really like by the book kind of general because she takes forever like i mean really they she just could have been like fire at will that is an order you could give instead she wants to make sure everybody has their plans ready to go that gives uh, Picard time to get into position. I the mean, Picard... she does, she passes over four planetary sterilization patterns, though, for number five. Uh, I agree. I think, though, if your plan is, if your plan is to stop this thing immediately that, that the Jatvash have existed uh, for, uh, for all these years, you know, uh, you roll on up and you start firing and you just make sure that your cannons aren't pointed at another Romulan ship and otherwise you just keep going. Honestly, you probably could have taken out the entire um, settlement there with a single photon torpedo. Uh, but, you know, dramatic O has got to be dramatic. 
Um, we have the Picard Maneuver 2. The redo. <laughs> Indeed. Um, and uh, the Romulans start to fire at the, the fake ships. The real La Serena is hit. Soji's scared. Picard's scared. Agnes is scared. Pete, I'm starting to get a little scared. What on account of Picard saying earlier that he's going to give his life and such. Uh, and, and I don't know if the story gives us any any way out of that. It hasn't been setting up any way out. So I'm scared. We're all scared. The ship is put back on track. However, perhaps all is lost. High pitch ringing here. Picard's point of view. The panting. Is he all right? The beacon's done. The beam goes up. It opens. And they've activated it. We hear on the Romulan uh, flagship bridge. We're going to resume sterilization targeting pattern on O's command. And then Not before. Everybody has to wait patiently. <laughs> they have to wait patiently, Matt, for the payoff of the next generation fanfare as Starfleet warps in. Yes, the Federation showing on up there, the flagship Gen Hay, and it's Captain, acting Captain Will Riker. Um, all of these ships, uh, some discussion, Pete, as to whether it's a CGI copy-paste of the same ship. Javon says no. There's all sorts of individual creations there. I disagree. Uh, but Riker is there to protect the inhabitants of Gulion 4, and he's ready to kick her treacherous Tal Shiar ass as he sits there uh, in, in, in the Toronto set of Discovery uh, in a really great presentation. I don't know that they necessarily filmed that in Toronto. Oh, they they 100% did. Chabon said it. And it's, oh, okay. It is okay. totally the Discovery Bridge. Just the con and op stations have been I mean, it looked out. like it. I wondered if, I, I wondered how much of the California tax credit program prohibits them from using other locations. Um, so maybe it's 98%, 95%. (laughs) You can do a quick pickup shot. We had one guy do one scene for like, for like, I mean, not for nothing. How long would it take? California doesn't know where that bridge is, right? (laughs) Uh, that too. (laughs) Um, there you go. Uh, the terms of the treaty of Algeron, uh, makes this planet Julian four in the Vite sector a protectorate of Starfleet. Step aside. No, this is our planet. The Romulans claim the uh, holographic uh, recording of Picard making the priority request comes up there. All very helpful in the exposition of it. Uh, Retarget weapon systems, prepare to fight, say the Romulans. Riker has the fleet go weapons hot, deflectors to fall. So we're only getting out of this, Matt, with a diplomatic solution. Yes, and I will say, though there are portions of this episode that I did not love, uh, maybe directions I disagreed with, editorial things like the fact that Narek just disappears from the story at the end because it was apparently a better episode to do so. Who's Narek? Uh, who is that, Pete? That's the question that they want you to not be asking. Um, uh, but I will say this: we've had in uh, certainly old iterations of Star Trek, let alone you know Star Trek Discovery seasons one and two, we've had epic space battles and whatnot. And I think there's a place for that in Star Trek. I mean, it is you know naval ships in space. Uh, but I think that the story is best served here, not having an epic fight. 
uh, it being brought back to Picard and his wisdom. He, his brain is not well. Let's not forget that. That's inter, uh, intercut into the story here, too. But he pleads with Soji, uh, Soji, saying that if she powers down, then she's not the destroyer. The Federation are not the bad guys. If they wanted to destroy synths, they would have simply teamed up with the Romulans. He trusts in Soji. She can trust him back. They're there to save each other. That's your Star Trek moment. Yes, there's also Star Trek moments where ships fight ships. And it's really awesome. But here's your moment of individual people making their individual best choices and having a a, a global in a metaphorical sense uh impact on on humanity again in a metaphorical sense with these you know weirdo aliens the discussion of free will that picard and others trust soji to make the right choice he believes in her o is listening it's why picard saved her soji so that she could save everybody else it's why we're here to save one another as the chitari tentacles from the other side of the wormhole in avengers uh come to loki via thanos soji smash and they're all pulled back in and the most epic marvel star trek crossover is gonna have to wait I did appreciate from a story point of view, I appreciated that the tentacles pulled back through as opposed to the, the you know, inter-dimensional uh, bridge closed and the, the tentacles were severed because then it would be, oh man, are we going to, are they going to come to life? Like it, it would have quickly, A, been something that you would have spent a lot of theory time on in between seasons, which clearly that's a direction they don't want to go on, uh, go into, and B, it would have been vaguely, discovery season two you know the ai has come alive that sort of stuff so good story choice there uh the romulans power down and warp out pete they could have gotten a an escort from starfleet but they said no thank you uh riker and picard talk uh riker saying just because picard tried to talk or pardon me just because riker tried to talk picard out of it doesn't mean that he wouldn't help his old friend and uh picard thanks will for always having his back riker out Adieu. Uh, Picard is grunting at this point. We get flashbacks from the very beginning of the series of him walking on his vineyard. He faints. Uh, the flashback of Data asking him to finish the painting. He doesn't want the game to end, but it's all right. This is all because of his brain abnormality. This is natural, but there's no point to uh, beaming him down. There's no magic fix for his human body. Pete, with that, uh, a shocking moment to those of us who knew that, knows that there's going to be a season two and to anyone who's been paying attention to the golem uh, that's being built. Uh, Picard uh, gives Soji affirmation. He tells Rafi she was right about, about, and then oh, dies. Don't, don't leave out seeing Elnor and touching his face. Um, this was tough enough on me the first time. The second time, this broke me. See, now that's interesting to hear because we are now approaching a portion of the story that I liked least. And let me tell you why. Pete, it's not because I need, I have red hair and need YouTube clicks. It's not because I'm angry at the world. Let, let, me, let me talk through this rationally. Let's have a Star Trek conversation here. Um... I in no time bought the notion that he was dying for real because the story 
internally had spelled out the whole reclamation thing uh, and externally was renewed in what it got the tax credit in December and it was announced in January or February that there was yeah. going to be a season two. So yeah. I, I kind of didn't buy it. And I kind of was wrenching a portion of the story where I was holding my nose the whole time saying, you want me to be sad about a thing that we all know is not real and not even not real in a, you know, like I know these are fake characters, not real people, but I don't know. For me, it didn't quite work. Although I will admit the Picard Elnor stuff hit best. Pete, I'm going to put forth a theory here that might might bother some listeners. It might bother you. I don't know. Here's maybe why I wasn't as hooked into Picard's death, because as we get ready to see the the new characters from this show mourning his temporary loss, it really struck me. I do not feel deeply about these characters after 10 episodes. And I have come to feel deeply about these characters, particularly Eleanor. I mean, that exchange between uh, Stuart and Evan, Evan Gloria, um, the, the son that he never had, uh, Raffi as this confidant, Rios stoically looking on, Gerardi has been with him seemingly the most throughout his his journey here. And then Soji, who, you know, called off uh, the attack of the Uber since here. And all right. So there is the criticism that you have killed off this character. I mean, just to speak to what you were about the season two renewal and that we've known that this entire time um, this season has, uh, has streamed. I suddenly began to question, wait, wait, would they fake renew the, the season fake renew the series? Ha ha. We even name a fake season two showrunner because the season one showrunner his his project's been picked up and and he's moving on full-time to that uh this this would be quite the 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 coup for them to be able to keep that under wraps the beginning middle end here of picard you know uh with patrick stewart in the writer's room from day one the story he wanted to tell not the next generation and i'm i'm questioning everything here as it happens and then even you know so th this is the act break we come back from that at dusk in front of the mountain you've got the sun there rios is sitting seven comes up with what appears to be pert inside a bottle <laughs> that she then drinks yes I mean, <laughs> yes it did if it's if it's not pert in a bottle uh that jerry ryan uh was was swigging uh whoever created the prop of what appears to be pert in the bottle it really looked like pert in the bottle and pete the, the, i don't know if every substance yeah i don't know if everybody listening i'm thinking of fred in the netherlands i don't know how widespread pert is but it's a it's a a shampoo that has this kind of glistening dual liquid yes. viscosity to it that it looks like two different things at once so two that's different colors of green simultaneously <laughs> uh and they're drinking it and i'm like you just killed off a beloved character hand me the perk <laughs> pass me the perk you keep drinking shampoo seven will be dead too luckily she's got a, a board part where her stomach would be um but yeah she she's sad 
Rios reflects on having lost two captains, two great men, giving his heart over to them. Uh, Seven reflects on having killed just because they deserve it. Never again. I felt like there, that was the first inkling I had of, they want to do more with Seven because she's making, I swear I will not kill anyone, Terminator 2 kind of promises that, that might be might be tested in the weeks to come, or which is not to say next week there's a new episode, but in the adventures to come. Uh, elsewhere, Rafi and Elnor reflect on how much they miss Picard. Pete, you called Rafi a confidant. I totally agree with that. I wonder if in some sort of reserved, completely professional way, he was he was a wifely partner to her. Again, not suggesting anything outside the norms of, of Starfleet, but Rafi, Picard, and Elnor making a weird, kind of vaguely British, emotionally distant family in, in the trio of them. I don't see it as erotic. I've only ever seen it as uh, filial, as as uh, friendly love here. Um, the butterfly interspersed between the end of the conversation between Rios and Seven, then to Rafi sitting on the hill there, Eleanor coming and just decompensating. And again, you absolutely feel for him as as she lets him cry. And then in the blacked out study, complete with a clock with no face on it, objects of religious significance on the desk, the fireplace, in what is no way a redress of the hollow study, real study, back at Chateau Picard. Uh, another damned dream, no, Captain. This is a massively complex quantum simulation that I will explain to you several times is massively complex and quantum. So here, Pete... You know, uh, there are times in this episode where they're a little heavy-handed to my eyes, but some question here. Picard seemed to be dying. Now he's in this 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 way station, this nether place. Is he dead? Uh, Data says yes, uh, but also kind of no. Data's memories, courtesy of B4, uh, have been in this simulation. Uh, and good news for Picard, his whole brain has been scanned. There's a new body ready for him out that door. The door opens on cue. Uh, and before Picard leaves, Data says it's time for his, Data's, consciousness to end. After all, morality gives meaning. After all, a butterfly that lives forever isn't a butterfly at all. And Pete, worth mentioning that uh, Chaban had answered on his Instagram uh, a question uh, about the following. Hey, what was it like to rewrite the end of Nemesis? For Brent Spiner, who rewrote Nemesis and who was giving Data the, the 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 concerted end in that movie, and here you said, nope, actually, uh, Michael Chabon and Star Trek Picard give Data his final end. I yeah, that's that took a lot. I was really surprised at that level of candor. Another thing that becomes apparent in this scene and we actually have a uh, a listener who wrote in to us specifically to talk about this but it definitely occurred to me here and in the following scenes so data asks uh picard how he felt when data sacrificed himself and picard says he was furious and we see the vigor in sir patrick that it's now apparent 
he was holding back most of this season. This was a tremendous acting job, these nine and three quarters episodes, and now new consciousness or consciousness no longer uh, dependent on a, on a failing body and then new body. Um, he is more vital and it, it's completely apparent this entire time an actor had been acting. Well, and I, it's funny that you should mention that because I remember seeing um, prior to the season or at the beginning of the season, uh, Patrick Stewart did an interview with the Hollywood reporter um, uh, Pete, uh, a woman who was very, very well prepared for the interview. I don't know that she was alive for all of next generation's original run. Um, but certainly well prepared indeed in asking these questions about legacy and so on and so forth. He was so jovial, so energetic, so kind of silly. If you think of that gif gif that's out there of Patrick Stewart, you know, a, a take had been blown or whatever, and he kind of has the giggle or he's yeah. pinching or whatever it it was that patrick stewart in 2019 2020 uh, as the interview was given and i kind of was like oh where where has this where is this guy well you know maybe long days on set so on and so forth but you're right he's been playing a man who is you know known to the actor known to the production although not necessarily known to the character fully is close to death close to his natural death and now has been given this extra time just in time for season two. Um, so there is this now vitality that can return, particularly as we head back into the story and Picard 2.0 awakes. Uh, we quickly get it established. No superpowers, approximating a normal lifespan. Uh, Pete, after all, says Soong, he, he, Picard, wouldn't want to adjust to something new, even though it is new. Uh, like, Star Trek is both new and not quite new. So take that. Fake Trek, fake fans. <laughs> 94 years in the same body here. Everything works, but the brain or abnormality is gone. They have not made him immortal. Great lines here out of Spiner. Oh, relax, man. Everyone was paying attention. Uh, Gerardi explains that there's a cellular homeostasis algorithm that will give him more or less the same number of years he would have expected without his brain condition. He wouldn't have minded another 10, maybe 20. Um, so we'll definitely discuss that uh, in theories, both for this episode and then uh, in our season wrap as well looking forward uh but uh he has some other business here to do with sung their uh their loss here preparing to let data go and then the return one more time of blue skies this time sung by isa Prignones. yes something else that was brought to my attention by chabon's instagram which it, it, I won't say if nothing else, because the season has been fine, but uh, I have not seen a showrunner uh, or a anybody involved in a production take to that weekly question and answer where it really is a case of he's only going to answer the questions he wants to, so he's able to ignore the rude, the cursing, the inappropriate, the spoilery. God, I can only imagine the terrible things he's been sent and or asked and I think what's nice is, you know, he's able to swipe past those. And from some yeah. of the other ones, he's giving very lengthy answers. Sometimes, you know, 
screen one, screen two answers, things like that. So certainly credit to him there. And thoughtful, too. Not like, yes, no. Even down to, like, there would be some people just, I guess, in the course, because Pete, there would some, he sometimes would be answering questions on and off for 12 hours. Yeah. Um, so, like, there would be people who might be coming to it in the morning and they'd say, um, hey, what about, uh, what about Gerardi, you know, committing murder? And he'll say, you know, oh, answered earlier in the, in, in the, the story, go, go check the archive. Like, he just could have ignored that and kept on moving. So, give him a ton of credit there. Um, Nice callback data in the kind of smoking style jacket in the redress of the hollow study uh, shades of all good things, but without the shock of white in the hair, uh, repositioning the pillow on the couch, reclining all as Picard is explaining that data somehow, even with all humanity's flaws, still looked on the kindness, the immense curiosity, the greatness of spirit, and wanted to be a part of that, a part of the human family. And, uh, of course, what is part of that? It is uh, it is the end. Um, I like how there's kind of this 4 3 two, one unplugging. Yeah. Um, I, from a, I'm, look, I'm no computer science person. From a computer science sense, does it make a ton of sense? I, I, I don't know. Does it make sense for story to give you four, three, two, one, and after one is zero, the end? That's what's most important. But Pete, even for my somewhat cold heart in this episode, um, where I think I saw more flaws than usual. I was going to say more flaws than not, but that it, it wasn't. It was not a bad episode. This scene on on both watch and rewatch. This this got me too. Darn it, they're they're tugging at my you know yeah. at my my heartstrings, but. Uh, the touch of beyond touches, the most thoughtful addition here is that data sees captain Picard holding his hand. Um, just, I mean, that I, that does not necessarily make sense for a simulation story wins out story wins out over science, over math, over everything. The heart wins out. Yeah. It's meant to be comforting here. He takes his hand and the invocation of, uh, Picard quoting Prospero from Shakespeare's The Tempest, we are such stuff as dreams are made on and our little life uh, is rounded with a sleep. Uh, one, the hand. Two, the wrinkles as the other tab is pulled out and then the final tab uh, data allowed to age. Here his eyes close and everything in the complex simulation reconstruction turns to dust which then becomes space and we're back on la serena we are in an ambitious shot overseen by director and oscar winner akiva goldsman um we have rios and agnes kiss while he is in the captain's chair uh a a boom shot down to the lower level where seven and rafi hold hands not after uh not before doing a shot though (laughs) <laughs> before that, their fingers interlace uh indeed uh and uh, we have picard at the rear of the the rear of the space the camera of course having moved um he starts to move towards the bridge area elnor is with him as is soji uh and and good news pete i guess not not i guess a little, little too much snark there let me pull it back 
Time has gone by. How can we tell? Because there's no ban on synths, so Soji can travel. And you know who else can travel now there's no ban, Pete? Picard. Picard can too. Rios asks if the Admiral is ready. And just as at the end of the third episode, everybody gives him a look. We get the engage line. We warp out. The adventure is just beginning. Pete, one more time this season, I hear those censors picking up a threat analysis. Let's start with the ending of Narissa. Peyton List, in the time that she had on screen, really soaked it up. I can say I am genuinely sad to see her character go. Uh, I can say I really have come to appreciate her performance. I'm really anxious to see what she shows up in next yeah she was she was great for what the story asked for uh which is to say this you know leather clad metaphorically black hatted villain going around doing terrible things at every turn um i do buy the context in which she's being villainous that she is the hero of her own story uh and frankly i appreciate that she was uh of her of her graduating class if you will she was the one strong enough to to take the admonition and to understand it without going mad uh and uh i guess pete my only complaint is that her character dies in a really lame way because it feels like the story is in a hurry up mode as opposed to giving her something a little better than down the hole she goes she pete she doesn't even get a spike to land on where we get boom 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 and we get the spike sticking through it's just like Pete, she got the Darth Maul forever dead death that you don't Get, see. The Emperor well, Palpatine but, death that is permanent for forever. But hang on, though, and I'm glad you bring up Star Wars because that's that's where I'm going to come at it from. Um, you know, we know that there was Narek stuff films that wound up on the cutting room floor. And I think given the tone at the end of this episode to intersplice, now you will be handed over to the Federation police in the midst of beloved uh character consciousness being terminated beloved character dying and having his consciousness uploaded into a robot really would have been incongruous so they made the right call there um that said they, they made they, the right call to have a hanging thread okay pete i will i i, I will disagree uh the, the the ben solo uh job done on narissa maybe she's still there and she will come back and kiss her brother before she disappears pete it's all she ever wanted that's what made her a villain all she ever wanted was to know her brother uh as one might in the marriage bed uh moving on uh we have um commodore o aka general nadar uh who is I... her full name commodore general uh, oh, Nadar. Uh, Pete, why would you say that? Clearly, she's just a Commodore in Starfleet and just a general for the Jatvash slash Tal Shiar. Surely those two streams don't cross. Yeah, it's it's confusing, and I just wish we had a little bit more. I mean, clearly she had a rank in Starfleet of Commodore, although I don't know why a Romulan officer would address her by her Starfleet human United Federation of Planets rank. 
on the bridge of a warbird, but ADR happens. Um, really appreciate what uh, Tomalin Tamita brought here. Um, when I found out, I think like two days after the first episode, which was uh, episode two that she appeared in, that this was uh, Kumiko from Karate Kid 2. It blew my world. I guess the good news is I don't think anybody from Karate Kid 3 appears in this season. That's probably a good thing. Uh, Let's move on to the higher synthetic beings from the Avengers wormhole. Um, I appreciate that the episode... I don't know, made them kind of creepy and weird looking to our human eyes and also ultimately did not rely on them as their own super threat. It was the threat of their threat that propelled everyone else. And I think that's what made sense because it kept the story on a personal level. It had to be. There was just so much going on here to introduce a fully fleshed out from without threat I mean, we know there's a time nature to it. We know there's an extra dimensionality. It exists best largely unseen. That the portal opens, that we see there are robot tentacles. Okay. Again, wondering going forward, that beacon's still there. They they didn't take it away, and there are synths there. I mean, one of them has a bad day. You know, the, the bald one, Codex, has a bad day, and can't play soccer with his brother he goes over and activates it and it's all over maybe you're pointing towards a bear patch in the story where like did all the federation ships need to leave the planet that they were now sworn to protect or maybe one could have hung around doesn't need to be the expensive you know jonathan frake's sled ship uh maybe one ship could have hung back in order to be like now we help you oh look lower deck ship uh, maybe. Uh, in fact, Pete, I have a theory as to that, which we'll cover in a moment, but uh, I will nonetheless take the opportunity here. If we're going to be talking threats, if the beacon is a threat, where's your scene of, oh, Captain Smith there, he's going to make sure that, that a beacon gets taken down and all the parts get cast to the four corners of the world or whatever it might be. It, it's kind of a threat that in our hearts is gone, but the story does not remove itself. Pete, let's set our long-range sensors to, uh, to theories, to what the future could hold. Here's the first one from me. So, fact. There was a scene shot involving Narek uh, being arrested or something. There was some sort of resolution to Narek's story. It was shot. For whatever reason, it was not it was, was not included. That maddens me because you're not constrained by an hour of broadcast TV. So I guess they cut it to make the episode better, even though Harry Treadaway has been in most of these episodes and is a character who I perhaps care about more than some of the good guys on the crew, the good gals on the crew. But, Pete, here's my theory. Coming this spring-slash-summer, a brand-new Star Trek short trek entitled... The Fate of Narek, or maybe a better title, but it's going to be about the fate of Narek in that it will be a deleted scene that costs them nothing. I would completely get behind that. Like I said a couple minutes ago, it just doesn't work to insert somewhere between Picard's human death, the consciousness uh, discussion between him and Data, his 
uh, robot resurrection, and then the loving send off uh, and and great shot of uh, La Serena to cram in and space cops arrested Romulan secret agent guy. Well, I think if you didn't have the, the, the mechanism of short treks, I would say you still should have had that scene in there somewhere, even if it was after the credits. So you've had the beginning, middle and end of the body of the story. Then after the credits, you go, all right, come with me, you traitor. Now you're in space jail or whatever it might be. I don't think that the story was, was well served leaving that hanging um, that hanging thread there. But shifting gears here, Pete, we know from, I believe, Akiva Goldsman's Instagram, but certainly, you know, social media coverage of when the show was being made on the last day of filming. Where were they? They were at Vasquez Rocks. Uh, and one of the questions that Michael Chabon answered on his Instagram, indeed, Pete, my question was what filming for the finale was done at Vasquez Rocks? His answer was none. So that gives you a sense of how um, this season was shot. We know it was shot kind of in blocks of multiple episodes, but they must have done much of, if not all of the Vasquez Rocks stuff at the very end of filming. That's the only conclusion I can reach. Or there's another that, Vasquez Rocks scene that was shot but not used. But I think Chabon... That doesn't make sense, though, because the the directors from earlier episodes would not be coming back to shoot things for those early episodes. It, yeah, it, it doesn't add up. I I had posited to you via text that maybe they shot some of the exterior desert stuff that they couldn't recreate on a set uh, at Vasquez Rocks and did that towards the end. Perhaps that makes the most sense. I know that, you know, one way and having been to Vasquez Rocks, it's it's a stunning experience to face the main rock itself at the, you know, at the parking lot. You come around, you park right there and you go Kirk versus Gorn, uh, you know, CSI, Glow, like all these shows, it's the one spot. And then you literally turn your back to it and you're like, oh, boring California desert. You turn a little bit more, you're like, ah, some weird pointy ridges that kind of look vaguely like Vulcan. Then you turn back around again and you go Kirk versus Gorn. So... That certainly is more than possible as well. So Picard dies. Um, something that should we not have had a second season of renewal, maybe we might have thought would have happened. A lot of times these characters return, uh, the, an actor returns to a longtime character. I'm thinking Harrison Ford, Han Solo, wants to see them end. They're involved in in the the planning of that, um, but that he dies in this episode, and yes, of course, we've uploaded his consciousness to the Gollum, everything there, but we had no reconnect with Beverly Crusher, we had no reconnect with Jordy LaForge, we had no reconnect with Worf. <sighs> Here's my here's an here's an uncomfortable takeaway. Uh, everybody loves Patrick Stewart. I love Patrick Stewart. You love Patrick Stewart. There's not stories, not 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 stories of him, you know, drunk driving or whatever. You know, he's he's been divorced twice. I certainly have never heard stories of, you know, like 
terrible stories, et cetera, et cetera. Hey, sometimes relationships end, you know, whatever. Everybody only has nice things to say about Sir Patrick. Pete, if Sir Patrick wanted the entire Next Generation crew to have a cameo, would producer, uh, producer Stewart, man in the writing room Stewart, star Stewart, could he have made that happen? Yes. My only conclusion can be, he said he wanted to do something from Next Generation. I'm not suggesting through yeah. bad blood between him and the castmates, but no. you know, he, he's an actor, he's a performer, um, he, he's the star of the show, and I think at the end of the day, you know, they needed to pitch him on the idea of a show. Period. It could have been, hey, we're going to give you all this money. Great, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Picard is now a juggling clown. Awesome, give me money. Uh, instead, he had a certain concept of how the show should be. And I guess he didn't fight for Gates McFadden to show up or Will Wheaton to show up or Michael Dorn or LeVar Burton. And that to me is just the thing, you know, would I have killed Picard off and had him become a robot? I, I don't know that I would have had the uh, chutzpah to make that move. This was done with the blessing of the actor and the input of the actor who plays the character. So that's me getting over it and realizing this is what he wanted. So we now have the first ever robotic captain lead of a show. Clearly, there is a path forward in a second season of what that's going to look like and the number of questions that come up in regards to that, I mean, Will Riker warps Starfleet out of there before Picard dies. Does he know Picard has even died? Is this going to be an open secret that Picard is synthetic or is it going to be something like we don't we don't talk about that? So so nobody knows. Uh, will he be hunted in season two i mean thank goodness matt as you mentioned before the ban has been lifted i would suspect that this episode i don't want to veer too far into you know reviewing the season or predict i guess we can predict next season based on this episode is my point um i think that they've given us enough story meat to say he's totally the way he was period and, hey, remember how nobody really detected Dodge and Soji until whatever, right. whatever. Next season, we're not doing Chase the Robot. We're doing something else. And we're never going to speak of this again because it, he's it's that good a robot copy that nothing has changed except for the brain abnormality. And indeed, Pete, maybe this isn't quite a theory, but let's just backtrack here for a minute. I am not thrilled with the idea. And I know that this is how most stories work regardless, but I'm not thrilled with the idea that we introduce the ticking brain abnormality time bomb in the first episode solely so that he can get a headache at the end of towards the end of the last episode and it be the big thing which wait, then gets he, undone he by had the story signs of this throughout the season that is we not, did that but is at, not accurate that wait you want to go back into the cold again and now you're dead no this was repeatedly came up throughout the season it did, but in retrospect, it was at the service of, oh man, we really want to just kill him off and then undo it five minutes later. I guess I guess there's my angst, Pete. He it's may one... never come this way again, Matt. Yeah, but all at service of 
what I would argue is a weird way to wrap things up, which is remember that brain abnormality that got mentioned in one episode. Now it's a major plot point. Uh, one episode, the next generation. Now it's a major plot point, which is the climax of the very end, except we've been feeding you for two episodes that the big climax of thus ends Picard is not going to stick around for more than a couple of minutes. I guess that's where my exception comes to. Interesting that Narek and Narissa uh, were told in this episode had parents in the Jat Vash. Of course, they died on some kind of mission so that it's become a, a family affair is an interesting aspect. Yeah. And again, I feel torn because at the end of not at the end of the episode, after Picard dies and the, all the goodies are mourning him. You know, I kind of wasn't buying that. I didn't feel fully engaged in those characters. But Narek and Narissa are characters that I really connect with, uh, and hopefully not for the wrong reasons. Um, yes, I kind of thumbed my nose a bit to the fact that in one of Narek's six scenes in this episode and the one with his sister, we get Narek backstory of, you know, Mama and Papa never thought I'd amount to anything, but now I will. Um Still, that's kind of a story arc I can get into. You know, it's all, we're, we're always trying to prove people wrong who tell us no, we're not gonna, we're not gonna be able to make the cut, that kind of thing. Um, they're both engaging characters. I wish they both got better endings in this episode. Fine, there's footage out there of some kind of Narek something something, and that might be a cool short trek, or maybe it's a cool short trek that you bring them back and you film for two more days, and now it's its own has a better ending to it or a better body to it as a eight, 10, 12 minute thing. Maybe he shows up for the second half of season two uh, when he's on community service and he's like, I will pick up your papers and your, your, your dirty laundry on the ship. Oh, and now I have a phaser and complete redemption. Fine. But he didn't get the ending here. Narissa got in my mind, a, a disappointing ending for as great as her villainy has been. Well, to get the throwdown between her and Seven, uh, something I think we would have definitely signed up for in advance, and to have it uh, used as a way for Narissa to taunt uh, Seven about her story. I mean, she's an intelligence operative for this super, super secretive sect of the, the most secretive people in the universe, secret police. Of course, she's going to know that Annika was assimilated at uh, six years old and give her a hard time over it. Yeah, I, ultimately, I just feel the her ending fit on paper. Uh, I, Pete, I wasn't even a fan of the line, you know, this is for Hugh. Like, OK, I get it. And Hugh was a great character, also kind of prematurely and unsatisfyingly killed off. Um I don't know. I guess I, I guess my concerns with this episode, I have less now that we've talked through them, uh, which I guess is a very Counselor Troy conclusion. But there still is something, I, Pete, I guess I'll have to spend the next week digesting this episode to be able to better discuss how it fit into the season uh, when we do that next week. The Borg artifact is still on Coppelius. Um You've got synths there. You've got XBs. The beacon is still there. There's a lot of parts still in play. If only they had left one ship, or if only it had... These things could have been addressed in the story with one line of dialogue. 
John Luke, I'm leaving the blah 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 ship uh, to enforce the Treaty of Algernon. Goodbye, my friend. And then you go, okay, well, now, Pete, in my imagination, there's some other captain who's unplugged the projector, who's put a security people around the board cube, uh, so on and so forth. I will say this. It's an interesting um, story conclusion. I'll, you know, so I'll, I'll back off my complaints and, and get back into full theory mode here. Um, it's interesting that now this Borg artifact, I believe the only Borg artifact that they've ever had, the only undestroyed Borg ship of this size, um, it now has landed in Federation or Federation protected space. Uh, whether that's something that the series or the novels or whatnot um, are interested in moving forward, it's like one less cool thing that the Romulans have that the good guys now have, and I'm certainly okay with that. Uh, so Picard is Picard, but this is a, you call them Picard 2.0. This is a different iteration. It remains to be seen how much Picard will just be Picard moving forward. Uh, what are you calling him if you're not calling him Picard 2.0, and of course I have some answers. Um, I, I'll just stick with either Picard 2.0. I, Pete, I'm just gonna call him that old pain in the butt admiral. Uh, could you call him Polum? Uh, you could the Picard Golem, absolutely. Could you call him Gicard? What's Gicard? That would be Gollum Picard. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, Gicard rolls off the tongue a bit less uh, easily, but you certainly could. Here's my favorite, and it straddles, and and I came up with it. Uh, it straddles a couple of the universes that we podcast, Matt, that being the Star Trek universe and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm calling him JLMD. <laughs> Jean-Luc uh, Model Decoy? John Luke, well, J L L L L M D doesn't work as well. Uh, but as reviled as in some quarters as a nickname of J L was for some of these uh, dum dums, I I think the opportunity to mash up a life model decoy. I mean, the most beloved character on Agents of Shield, Agent Coulson, at the end of the sixth season is uploaded into a robot. Huh. Well, and uh, I know we're not quite at the feedback portion, but that's a perfect segue to something that our pal Mike Sorensen had said on Twitter. Uh, do you think the writers saw season six of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? I mean, it's not a... This is, We've talked, Matt and I, uh, both in writing and, and uh, off mic recently about uh, the concept of plagiarism. Uh, this is not a plagiarist concept this is a repeated motif we've seen in the genre many many times okay you take a character who's uh not going to make it or uh what have you and you upload them into a robot and this is not a new concept and uh, all right oh boy to to think that uh in august as they were filming this episode uh the script completed uh, weeks, if not months before they watched the end of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and said, no, no, stop, uh, stop the presses in the writing room. We're going to Agent Coulson, Sir Patrick Stewart's Picard. Yes, wonderful idea. 
Well, Pete, I'll I, I think Mike had asked it somewhat jokingly, but I'll double down and say this: uh, which character, Coulson or Picard or both, uh, while still in flesh and blood form, had a robot hand? They both did. Uh, at least that was the the intention after uh, Best of Both Worlds Part Two that he has a synth- you know he has a robot hand because he got his arm chopped off by the Borg. So, Pete. Two leading men of a action sci-fi series with multicultural casts, two men with receding hairlines, two men with robot hands who then get turned into robots at the end of a season. The, the coincidences are piling up here, Pete. When, what, what is the American version of being knighted and when do we do that to Clark Craig? <laughs> Not soon enough is the answer. Last one from me, Matt. Seven, Raffi clearly a thing yeah i know chabone chided people on instagram uh when they said hey this is great this is cool but this is out of the blue and he was like no 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 you just need to look more in episode four or episode five like the, the hints are there oh God. Uh, I, I completely seven admits to having a relationship with another woman so like if you're blindsided by this you just did not watch that episode <laughs> Even though with Raffi and Pete, I'm not saying that just because Raffi had a husband and had a kid with him that she can't have an interest in women. Don't get me wrong. But I was more surprised by the Raffi end that... I think that's meant to be. I, I don't think that, you know, we've we've had overt signs that Raffi's necessarily bisexual or e- even just uh, homosexual at this point. Um, but... The, the signs are clearly there. The story is clearly there with Seven. Okay, Raffi seems a, a big-hearted woman that here we've shared a drink. You know what? Our hands touch. Now they're interlacing. Okay. Certainly, if nothing else, Pete, it hammers home the fact that it appears we can anticipate Seven being a full ongoing character in season two. And I think that that caught me by surprise. And that, by surprise, uh, and that, if that's an easy theory to call for next season, I'll take it because she, of course, is a great character. Okay, so Jerry Ryan obviously comes in at a bigger scale than anybody else in this cast other than Sir Patrick. I think the California tax credits help to decide that. I understand through some back channeling that the writer's room wasn't completely clear as to whether or not she was going to return in a uh, regular mode. Uh, I can't get anything past that at this point. Um, Chabon has said, we don't have a crew. We have an ensemble. Uh, Put Jerry Ryan in the ensemble. Absolutely. Uh, That would just be a great addition. With that, let's head to hailing frequencies. Healing frequencies open, sir. Let's start with the Twitter poll, as we so often do. Uh, Fourth choice is Pete. Uh, One star, fake out is fake. That got 3.6%. Two stars, kick from bridge. I tried to make it spoiler-free, Pete. I think a lot of people wouldn't know that it actually was a suspension bridge between two Borgy areas, but that got 3.6% as well. Three stars, logical, uh, 17.9%. And then four stars, new crew, new you. 75%, 75%, so certainly <laughs> a, uh, a hearty response there. Uh, some tweets. First one from James. It's at Big Killin'. 
loved the whole season. We are left with a crew to love and the promise of two or maybe even three romances. Hopeful that we can see more of this in the years to come. Stay safe, everyone. Uh, also, a tweet from Andre Yeager. That's at Dr. Paul in 1983. I knew the golem would somehow become a factor. Love the way they handled the situation. Would have been cheesy to make him young and superpowered. Can't wait till season two. Uh, then last one, Pete, from Kobayashi Saru. That's at 3ILL Suite. It was great. I'm more a TOS-era fan than TNG, but found my, but found myself surprisingly moved and satisfied by this latest endeavor. Pete, what do you have on your end on the comms panel there? couple from Facebook here, Matt. Long-time friend of the podcast, Donna Marie Rosado. Uh, she had actually posted a picture. Donna is a cancer survivor and had had a... Uh, had a procedure here. She posted a picture of uh, Next Generation Hugh and uh, Picard Hugh, and uh, she had had a, a drain removed. She said she felt like an XB, uh, and I asked her if she was enjoying Picard in her convalescence, and she replied, oh my God, yes, I watched the final one this morning. Just so good. Donna is a huge Trekkie. I've uh, seen a lot of pictures of her at conventions with uh, cast members. Well, certainly glad to hear that she's uh, she's doing well. And I think it, it's nice to hear that Star Trek could provide not just kind of the levity, but I think, you know, in challenging times like we're all having and then, you know, a different category of challenge that, that Donna's getting through there, the ability to have a laugh, you know, I think that that can go a really, really long way, even when things just seem so wildly crazy. So uh, just overjoyed to hear from Donna. A message, Matt, from Mary Ritzman. Uh, good morning, gentlemen. This is Mary from Germany. I just finished watching the last episode of Picard, and all I can say is, in the words of another great Starfleet captain, oh my. I have mixed I have had mixed feelings about this show this season so many eyeballs but my chief concern was the apparent weakness of Patrick Stewart I thought the man's aged he's lost his chops and then comes this episode and I realized that this great Shakespearean actor was acting how did he do that as he awoke in his new body, his movements, his speech, everything was the Captain Picard of old. He maintained this facade of the aged captain for an entire season, and then presto, the most subtle of transformations. I am simply in awe and applaud an excellent end to a splendid first season. P.S. I love your podcast, both Discovery and Picard. I've been listening to you with pleasure from for quite some time and i replied to mary thank you for reaching out uh that i had noticed stewart's energy and grown concerned as well and and you know he's got this new lease on life and what a, what an acting job indeed i uh said thanks for listening and uh that we'd include her comment in the podcast and, and hopefully we'll be watching discovery very soon and she said sweet thanks peter Blieb geschund, Minfreud. Ah, kind words there. So appreciated. I, Pete, I know we love we love hearing from everybody, but it's a little bit of a reminder 
how small the world is when we hear from people that, you know, people from other countries, people not from our neck of the woods, that sort of thing. An email here from Paula who says, don't know if you're aware of this, but what we left behind, the DSpace 9 documentary, is available for free on Tubi. Uh, she shared the link, which I will put in the uh, podcast description there. Uh, she also asks Pete, have you read the interview? Well, she doesn't ask you specifically, but she asks us, have you read the interview with Michael Chabon and Variety? This guy has got his S together. Uh, P.S. Your podcast on episode nine was outstanding. The amount of work you must have put into the mission briefing was incredible. Great job, guys. So, Pete, I know that uh, I've read, I think, all of the interview in Variety. I think you read it as mm -hmm. well. Any thoughts there? Yeah, we referenced it up top. Maybe we'll put that in the, in the show notes as well. Um, yeah, he, I, I'm, I'm very happy for him moving on to his next project. I'm relieved to know that he's going to continue to have some level of involvement with Picard. Um, the guy's a breath of fresh air. He's enormously talented. I mean, again, we're talking about a, a Pulitzer Prize winner, and that means a little bit more to me having come through Columbia University School of Journalism. Um, but just tremendously, tremendously grateful for him becoming the showrunner of this show and uh, imbuing it with such a sense of, of being a fan at the same time setting out to tell an ambitious story that the originator of uh, an epic captain helped to uh, have some say in. Next email here from uh, Derg, who you can visit his website, reviewsbyderg.com. Hello, Matt and Pete. Before I forget, shout out to The Ready Room and Will Wheaton. Don't know if you guys watch it, but uh, although he has a lot of uh, great guests uh, on, I find Wheaton's enthusiasm contagious. I'm happy that he hosts the show. It's my second favorite After Trek weekly show. First, of course, Matt and Pete of Fantastic Geek Podcast. Ha! Huh. Uh, what a great finale, especially after what I thought was a bit of a lackluster part one. I'd call the first season of Picard the best of any Trek series first season, personally. Complex story, good acting, and yes, despite some minor plot holes throughout, it was a very satisfying ride overall. Looks like Seven will be back as a regular in season two, which is great news. I feel like they missed the boat on Narek a bit. For example, uh, at the start of the finale, Narek vents about being uh, undermined because he's seen as failed Jot Vosh. Now, there's a compelling season-long char uh, character exploration opportunity and insecure Narek trying to prove he's worthy to Nerissa and the other Jat Vosh Romulans. Alas, he mentions it in the last episode, and it ha never had time to be explored. Not only is he kind of forgotten at the end, where did he end up? But his story could have been much more riveting. Riker in the full uniform in a commanding position? Come on, who could see that and not love it? I'm also glad we did not have a full-blown space battle to resolve things, and the episode had time to spend more with closures, and boy, were they emotionally jarring. Soji would see the light at the end, I think we all knew it, but the way it was delivered, with Picard leading the way, was what great resolutions are made of. My favorite characters, Rio, Soji, and Picard, of course. For those who may not have read the prequel novel, Raffi probably has the most compelling overall character story of anyone, but the show did not have time to explore her background that could uh, could by itself make a compelling series. Hopefully more of her in the second season. I hope the second season leaves the Borg and AI behind and tackles a new challenge with new species and planets and characters. I also hope it will be slightly less dependent on serialization. 
Discovery's second season did this well, in my opinion, keeping an overall arc while squeezing in some bottle stories within the episodes. Picard felt like it was 100% dependent on the long story. It's not a complaint, since I loved it, just a wish. Last wish, put Laris and Jabon more on screen in the second season if possible. Thank you for a great weekly podcast. Looking forward to the future ones. Pete, that's from Derg. High praise indeed from from Derg for us, for this show. Uh, Definitely would love to see more of uh, Laris and Shaban. We'll talk about that in our uh, season wrap next week. That's high on my list. I would agree with him too. I think that it's not a complaint to say the whole thing was serialized, Um, but I, I think smaller bites... I don't know. I would like to see more small. I'd like to see smaller bites in modern Star Trek. Um, doesn't necessarily need to be episodic, although I think everybody is so quick to run away from episodic that it'd be nice if there were some of those back in the mix. But Pete, moving on, the next email from uh, another longtime listener. That's Ian Knight. Uh, his website, zort.co.uk. Hello, I hope you both are keeping safe and well in these troubled times. A few thoughts on the final episode of uh, season one of Picard which I've loved through all the episodes, even if it wasn't always quite as slick and polished from an editorial standpoint. There was a heavy reliance on nostalgia and the world of TNG Voyager, uh, slash Voyager, and I think they managed to make enough of it without going totally overboard. I have to say, I now want to see a league of soccer played with molecular disintegration ball. Romulans have at least four other planetary stellization patterns. They must have thought long and hard about this. Picard learns to fly fast. Wasn't it a couple of episodes ago where he sat in a big chair and didn't know what he was doing? Riker comes in at warp speed to save the day. Again, uh, just to see him on the bridge of a starship in the captain's chair was worth the price of entry alone. Then in the ultimate switcheroo, Data completes his journey to be human by dying, and Picard then becomes synthetic. I sense a Star Trek Westworld matchup in the works. Uh, thanks all for your chat, thoughts, and theories for the podcast. I can only imagine what the lights season two will have for us. Apart from the confirmed Guinan, I wonder if the Crusher family may get the order to assemble an away team. Pete, that from Ian. Always love to hear from Ian. Thank you so much. Um, I mean, come on, Guinan, you, you've got to do some Elorians. I mean, there, there's got to be a, a flashback of uh Guinan as a as a child and maybe even seeing what the the borg did to them leads very easily into uh into q coming back i i would have to almost guarantee that at this point we thought we might see something at the end of this season picard is a jlmd now q's gotta show up and test that out Somebody else on Instagram had asked Jabone something you and I had talked about, which is, can't you? Why wasn't there a scene where you mimic the Next Generation episode with Q in bed with Picard, where Picard it basically it was what we talked about? Either great minds think alike, or somebody listened to us and asked Jabone. Regardless, Jabone was like, "No, we never really thought of having a Q cameo." And it was like, "Really? Okay, well, let's add that to the list." Uh, Pete penultimately we heard from uh, Anne Marie who says as follows hi Matt and Pete thank you both for the fantastic reviews that's with the ph on a number of my favorite shows you can break down an episode and give positive and negative feedback in such a respectable way few podcasters can do this I love the fact that you both seem to be subject matter experts in these shows it is the little fun facts that go above and beyond totally love the first season of Picard 
Both It and Discovery are shows to bring a new generation to the Trek universe. It has a great balance of story and action. Quality over quantity. Looking forward to your review of episode 10 and then your season, uh, your end of season podcast. Hope you're both staying, stay, uh, staying safe. Pete, that's from AMC, also known as Anne-Marie Colton. Thank you so much, Anne-Marie. I mean, we love Star Trek and, and we love those other properties, but I, I think this is something that's been with us a little bit longer and, you know, we, we really put the time into it. I mean, there was the other uh, listener before that, that talked about the, the mission briefing. I mean, I take a lot of notes. I watch very, very closely and, you know, I, I feel very passionately both as a, a viewer, as a, a form of critic here and as somebody who's studying and, and practicing the uh, art of screenwriting and trying to get better uh, to absorb and to imitate the good, to, to block out the bad. Uh, and it's, it's nice that people are picking up on that. Well, Pete, this an episode in which a reverentially beloved admiral gets a new lease on life, living perhaps forever due to what is doubtless healthy eating and lots and lots of bike rides, is, of course, our Admiral, Admiral Fred from the Netherlands, and uh, we open hailing frequencies to him right now. Hello, Matt and Pete, and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Picard Season 1, Episode 10, the Season 1 Finale. I watched the episode already twice, once with my wife. I also watched The Ready Room with Will Wheaton and in this case with Patrick Stewart and Alison Pill. Well, I like that Alison Pill a lot more than Agnes Gerati. Agnes is, okay, she does a very nice job if you see how she really is and you compare it to her acting, then her acting is quite nice. But in her role as Agnes, I find her too insecure, too jittery. And, and in that sense, the, the scene where she wakes up Picard and says she's a better secret agent than she thought was very, very nice. But as a head of its research department or a research institute, I think she should be a more secure person. So I don't like Agnes Gerati, but I do like, after this ready room, Alison Pill. And in this period of time, the word lockdown has, of course, a very heavy meaning. And it was said by Narek when he was talking to Rafi Rios and I think Elnor in La Sirena. I like the concept, very nice, that our beloved Picard is a synth now. And I really wonder what will happen to AI soon. Not for nothing, AI. I think the golem was meant for Ultron, but he donated it to Picard. That's actually not completely clear to me. And will he make another golem for himself? I got the impression it was for him. And that was, of course, a big gesture towards Picard to give him this golem. Although, in the discussion with Data, in that dream, he didn't like Ultron Soon that much. But I think that's changed now. Okay, some additional feedback. I had to wait because the 17-year-old 
girlfriend of my son was sleeping in the room where I normally record, but I have some extra input here. I think the la this last episode had, as many other episodes, some very nice visuals. One was the Borg cube standing in the water in the beginning of the episode. I thought the scene where Narek found Nerissa, so in the half dark in the cube, with very nice lightning, which continued when she fought with uh, Seven, having some very nice close-ups as well, so that was nice. O's ship uh, from the outside in space, very cool, and also some very vicious close-ups of O. I like the space battle a lot with the orchids, especially with the orchids. A little less for the two fleets having a standoff. The space orchids, by the way, remind me more of Fisalis than of really orchids. And not everybody knows probably what Fisalis is, but it's a kind of fruit. Other English names for it are ground cherries or husk tomatoes. Of course, a very nice picture was the 25 Agnes Juratis. I liked uh, Rios and Seven at sunset. And the image of the dying data where he gets older in a very quick way. Some negatives in the episode were additionally, uh, I think, two easy deaths for the two of the main villains. Sutra just was simply switched off. Well... For such a villain, a bit easy. And Nerissa just was pushed overboard. One other negative point is that Nerissa is dead. Well, probably she's dead. And actually, I hope she's not. And then another negative point was this synthetic tentacles that came through this opening, this rift. They really were a bit cheesy. Nevertheless, I give this episode a 9.4 and the whole series an 8.0 out of 10. Okay, time is up. Greetings. Thank you very much for this 10 weeks ride. You did a lot of, lot of work. So big respect for the both of you. Greetings. All the best. Fred from the Netherlands. Pete, always a hoot and a treat to hear from Fred. Uh, he said he's not a fan of Dr. Agnes Gerardi, which um, made me think that going back and listening to our old podcast of this season, uh, the switch for me was when I didn't like her, I called her Gerardi. And when I started to warm to the character, she became Agnes. Uh, and that was somewhere in the middle third. Uh, I don't know how much that was intentional in terms of the show saying, oh, you get to know this character and whatnot. But um I was partially there with Fred, not liking the character. Then I grew to like the character. I didn't really know the performer prior to this. I know she's been in, in quite a bit, um, but really, really grew to love her performance. I, I like the the jittery uh, character that she's playing here. And, you know, Fred clearly got the idea that it, it's somebody that she plays. It's not who she is. Uh, I think we can confirm for Fred that yes, AI Soong did donate the body intended for him, did donate it to Picard. I think it's a valid question. Another thing that the episode leaves kind of open, can't he just simply make a new one? Uh, I don't know how much work, I mean, I know a lot of work went into the one, but 
if they need him to make a new one, can he, Pete? I think he can. I mean, you got to have the plans around. Yes, Maddox had helped to work on that one. Uh, but, you know, you call up uh, Gerardi on the old uh, subspace holophone. Oh, you did this? Great. Boom. Cranking him out. Uh, and Fred hammering home that it seems the deaths were a bit too easy in this episode. Uh, I have to agree with him. It's kind of like threats ended when they needed more story time to go do something else. Uh, okay. Uh, I mean, that is what it is. What did you need to do in this episode? You needed to uh, resolve the conflict between synths and humans with this idea that the synths could wipe them out, this uh, destroyer. Uh, Matt, I almost slipped into uh, into Agents of Shield there, the Destroyer of Worlds. <laughs> <laughs> Soji is Quake now, and and Picard is uh, is uh, Agent Coulson, and then uh, Raffi is going to become uh, Agent May. Oh my God, it's it's crossing over. This might be something that we have to ponder more between now and yeah. next week. Yeah. Uh, again, the notion of your your white male lead with receding hair, uh, then uh, a woman middle-aged-ish uh, as your your kind of number two female there in terms of the, the power hierarchy. Uh, the, the young lady brought in from the cold uh, being your kind of audience surrogate in uh, Dodge and Soji. Some kind of doctor who deals with both uh, bio and tech? Um, yeah. Somebody to fly the plane slash ship. I know in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that's that's the same as Agent May. But um, Pete, uh, stories upon stories, echoes. Is Narek in Hydra? Uh, I think Narek. Well, let me be this way, Pete. Hydra almost came through the rift. Oh, my God. (laughs) There you go. It really is. Uh, it really is confirmation of on the other side of that rift was the Marvel Cinematic Universe circa the year. What are we at? Twenty three ninety nine. So circa the you know circa the year twenty four hundred. It's the Marvel Cinematic Universe where Ultron the third has come back and taken over everything. So it's all connected. It is Pete, and certainly mentions of the entire season from a number of our listeners. We could not have done this season without those who support us on patreon.com slash fantastic geek, particularly, you know, crazy time. I know everybody's tightening their belts a bit when it comes to things financially, and the fact that still we have that support means so, so much to us as uh, as we continue to put out content there that hopefully is enlightening, nay, entertaining. Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content past the knowledge that you're helping us do this for all of the Star Trek shows, for all of the Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, shows, for uh, God Friended Me, for uh, what we did with uh, Watchmen, The Mandalorian, some new shows coming very soon. Just takes a dollar a month to get you in that exclusive door uh, and all sorts of levels past that. So thank you for visiting patreon.com slash fantastic geek today. All sorts of goodies on there, but there's one freebie that shall remain evergreen. That's talking to you on Twitter. Pete, how can people do so? 
You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 11,272 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word, like it today. We will be back next Saturday, April 4th, to talk the season one wrap of Star Trek Picard. So share your thoughts, your reflections, your questions, your theories uh, before that. Uh, although I suppose now, Pete, as as is that Patrick Stewart sitting by my by my couch cushions, holding my hand? I think the time has come for the end of this episode. So I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. Fear is an incompetent teacher.